0: Music mm-hmm.
2: Everybody and welcome to episode 41 of the Bomber Brothers podcast, part of the Pinstripe Alley community of podcasts. It's Sean and Ryan with you as always. And Sean, it's been a while since we've been able to say this, but it's what we were used to saying all the time most of the season and previous season. But we also have an exciting guest on today. We are going to talk to buster only of espn his positional top 10 rankings are being released day by day throughout this week and and some of last week his outfield one is being released today as we record on a thursday but we've still got plenty of other positions to talk about a lot of yankee inclusions a lot of things um up for some fun debates so it, it should be a, a fun conversation and we're uh, we're excited to uh Share that with everyone shortly.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to talk to Buster about getting me unblocked on Twitter um, <laughs> for something that was just a misunderstanding, I guess. And maybe um, we
2: should hold off bringing that up, or else he might just hang up and not yeah, want to we'll, talk to you. We'll bring it up after the after the
1: interview, because <laughs> you know I didn't mean to offend Buster. Uh, in any way I I always enjoy his reporting and his book The Last Night of the Yankee Dynasty is one of my favorite Yankee books I've I've ever read it's really it encompasses a great time in our lives and and the ending of it which is sad but I mean usually that that's what makes the best stories right it's like the tragic end
2: yeah no I agree that um remains one of my favorite Yankee books that I that I've ever read it was it was really great and um and again his top 10 lists are not Short on Yankees at all, and of course that makes sense. The Yankees come into the season as one of the best teams in baseball, so there will be plenty, plenty to talk about, um, and we will do that shortly. But first, we should uh, just cover the the news of the day, which um, doesn't directly have to do with the Yankees, but the uh, sign stealing saga has continued and expanded which is to the surprise of no one because obviously there were more teams involved in sign stealing than just the Astros the Astros might have gone through the most um or gone through the greatest lanes to uh, to relay the signs by banging on a trash can but now it's being reported by Ken Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellich obviously two well-respected names and would be no reason at all to question the reporting but um yeah, it's being reported that the Red Sox in 2018 were um, stealing signs using the video replay board or the video replay um, monitor that's available to every team in their dugout, and uh, you know it seems pretty. They, you know the whoever these sources are were part of that 2018 Red Sox team, so it seems pretty pretty likely that this indeed did happen. But um, but it all, they also. Seem to make it pretty adamant that this wasn't a factor in the postseason because there were um, officials from the league in the replay rooms monitoring it. Now the story also goes into detail saying that um, the Red Sox could have had a system to kind of get around that. Some some of these officials leave the room at times; others don't. Didn't seem to be too much of a barrier between teams stealing signs. But bottom line is. Um, the Red Sox were stealing signs during the 2018 season. It also mentions the Yankees of doing something very similar from uh, as early as 2015 before MLB sent out um, a memo after the 2017 season addressing the issue. So it's obviously a rampant issue in, in baseball. I, I, hardly be, I can't believe that this is the end of it in terms of finding um, other teams that did this, but as of right now, it's uh the two teams that have knocked the Yankees out of the playoffs in the past 3 seasons.
1: Well, I mean I I've a lot of thoughts on this. It's really this one is more convoluted than the Astros one cuz I feel like the Astros were blatantly blatantly going past what anybody could even deem as remotely acceptable with the trash can, the instant nobody on base, that whole thing. Um they're not really in that case. It's not like they're you know doing any sort of relay system. It's just sign stolen. Now the batter knows um, whether it be the hands on the fence in the in center field, the trash can, whatever. The Red Sox thing is is interesting because I, I mean, if you think about it, what's the difference? And I know there is one, but like, what's what's the real difference between somebody sitting in a video replay room and look watching the video, decoding the signs, and a player that's a reliever who doesn't go out to the bullpen is just sitting in the clubhouse waiting to go down, watching the first three innings of the game and just happens to be paying attention and picks up the signs. Really one is illegal. One isn't right. Cause you could just watch the, 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 game, the, the game on TV. Now, major league baseball has made one. Okay. And one, not um, obviously you're having a staff devoted to this. And after 2017, nobody has alleged the Yankees of, of doing this. Um, And actually what came out in the reporting was quite interesting that the Yankees, that that whole phone call and the Apple Watch drama, the Yankees phone call was Larry Rothschild just calling to see if a pitch was a ball or a strike. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't like the Yankees were doing some egregious thing, but they got punished because they shouldn't have done that. And, and, you know, rightfully so. It doesn't matter what your intentions are. If you break the rules, you break the rules. And the whole video thing with their Astros and their uh, jackass assistant GM, that was approved by Major League Baseball. So – the Yankees, while they were doing something that was frowned upon from 2015 to 2017, they haven't broken any rules. Um, and I feel confident, and I know you probably feel a little bit differently, that the Yankees have been playing it pretty much by the book since then. And the reason I say that is because of the way that you get like a CeCe or and Aaron Judge reaction. And that's that... They were shocked. They they seemed to be shocked and and upset by what happened with the Astros in in 2017. And now this is two teams that were breaking the rules, whether we say it's barely breaking the rules or extremely breaking the rules, that have knocked the Yankees out in the last three postseasons, assuming the Astros were doing something last year, which I mean, I'm I'm sure we could probably assume they were. Um, And as a fan, that makes me upset. I'm not as upset by the Red Sox one, but. With the Astros, I am, because I think the Astros went too far. Now, the Red Sox, I think it's the same thing as, like I said, it could have been that, you know, uh, I don't know, one of their awful relievers that year was just sitting and figured it out versus a video room, so, you know, we won't split hairs. And there was the whole thing (laughs) – bless you. There was the whole thing with with Severino tipping his pitches in Game 3, but Severino had a lot of other problems in Game 3, including not knowing what time the game started, so – I don't I don't I'm not too worked up over this one. i I think that my main takeaway from this is, yeah, teams are being cheeky, but I, it seems like the Yankees are pretty much in the clear, which as a fan, and oh we you know we haven't even mentioned it, but Domingo Herman's been suspended for for half the season. but as 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 a fan, with a team with a complex moral standing, we'll, we'll say for the Yankees with with Chapman and Herman, least, yeah, and and maybe bringing on hater. Um, it, it makes me feel better. There's <laughs> something I can hang my hat on, I guess, which is is not much to say, but it's a little. It's it's the little victories in life.
2: Yeah, well, I'd much rather have the Yankees banging on trash cans than uh some yeah of the other things that have that they've uh been involved of course, in of course. Um, but no, no, I I get what you're saying, and I definitely I definitely agree that this um that the Red Sox method is is far less um eye-opening and, and egregious, I, I guess you could say, than, than what the Astros were doing. Um, and you're right, there, did, there didn't seem to be any immediate um, relay system to, to hitters once they picked up the signs in the video room. It was, they, they picked up the signs, if that runner, uh, and then whoever picked up the signs would tell people in the dugout, and then if a runner got to second base, they would signal by either like putting two feet on second base or turning their back towards home plate something like that so it's it seems like a more like like you said a more accelerated version of of just someone in from out in the bullpen well people it's probably hard to see from out there but a runner from second base picking up the signs themselves um it's probably just a much more accelerated version of that i agree that i definitely don't think it had any um Effect on the outcome of the ALDS that year in 2018, um, and I, and I agree to an extent what you were saying about about the Yankees and how like CC and Judge's reactions kind of give you the impression that this is something the Yankees probably abandoned after 2017. Once that I think it was a three-page memo Joe Torre sent out according to the report, um, saying like hey like the video replay room is is not to be used for stealing signs like um, this ends here, blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, a team as advanced as the Yankees that is probably just as hungry to overcome obstacles like the Astros and the Red Sox to win a World Series. It's I don't know. I, I could definitely see them probably going to some other kind of lanes to try to gain an advantage, especially because it's been shown how paranoid they have been, and rightfully so. Now that we get light of all this other news that other teams, specifically the Astros, um, have been stealing signs, so.
3: And I, I mean, I'm
2: kind of I'm kind of on the fence about it, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Yankees were revealed to have done something in, in some way, maybe something like even less egregious than the Red Sox one to where it's kind of a gray area. But again, I, I guess I, I just I'm just saying I wouldn't be shocked. And I think it, this goes far beyond just the Astros and Red Sox.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've already heard whispers about the Brewers and, you know, the whole Gellich and you Darvish thing. And I mean, we'll see, and it, you know, like we were saying with. That's not why the Yankees lost the Red Sox, and I mean the Yankees. Actually, if you take Game Three out of the equation, which is just one of those albatross games, the Yankees outscored the Red Sox in the the other three games of the series um, by you know a margin of fourteen to ten, and the Red Sox averaged three and a half runs uh, per game at Fenway, which you know that that's nothing great. So it's not like they were they were getting some huge advantage at home, and. Um, You know, so I I don't get too upset and too bent out of shape about it. And I'd love to jump on the Red Sox. What they're doing right now, 100 years after they sold Babe Ruth, possibly selling off Mookie Betts, is some poetic irony. And uh, I'd love to jump on them and shovel some dirt on them. But it's just it's hard hard to do that, given what came out. It's not it's one of those things. If you're making a huge deal of it as a fan, you're just you're searching for something which you know is always a bad look when you could just people yeah. you know they they did something wrong and and you know that that's fine but we don't need to we don't need to pile on I I don't think we're going to be piling on them all year we piled on them all year last year so that's that's it we'll uh
2: yeah we'll just if, go beat them if you want there. to get on them like you said get on them for even entertaining the idea of trading mookie bets that is far more egregious than than this report in in my opinion and sounds like your opinion as well um yeah, so I mean, I guess we already kind of covered it, but like this doesn't really af- affect our thoughts on on the on the twenty eighteen season, the twenty eighteen playoffs. Did did it have, did it help the Red Sox in winning hundred and eight games in the regular season? Maybe, um, but you think about an eight game difference in the standings. It's, I don't know. It's tough. It's tough for me to buy that that this um that this system got them at least eight eight wins, eight extra wins. You know what? Do you know? Do you know what I'm saying? Like. Yeah, I hear you. I, I don't think it. I don't think it was that um, game changing of of a method. And, and <laughs> you know, te- technology obviously make makes things a little trickier now. But sign stealing has been in the game as long as baseball's been alive, pretty much. I mean, I'm, I'm, I feel bad because I'm blanking on his on his name. But there was an interview on Effectively Wild recently when the Astro stuff first came out, and um, it was with the author of a book who wrote about the history of the sign history, stealing, yeah. and there was, you know, there was. Uh, I was, I believe it was the Phillies in the 1920s who had a peephole in center field and had like a telescope through it, and they were <laughs> they were catching the signs and then reeling a,
1: a wire that was vibrating underneath the third yes. third base coach, and yeah, that was some crazy stuff.
2: I mean, that is just as intricate as, if not more intricate than than the trash can banging. So. It's it's definitely going to be hard for baseball to to wipe that stuff out. It's been in the culture of the game for so long and 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 accepted in a in a pretty big sense. You know the the chess match of of trying to decode players' signs and I think um, I think you're going to see a lot more of kind of like what the Nationals reportedly did with a really intricate um, sign system that was kind of you know, dependent on like how many outs there were and stuff like that, because teams were probably paranoid to that point um, of the Astros before all of it came out to the rest of the public, because I'm sure a lot of these players talk, they get, they move to different teams and, and they're like, Hey, like this is what these guys are doing. If we want to beat them, like we're going to have to do something similar. So I think that definitely enhances my belief that there are far more teams doing this than, than just the Astros and Red Sox. But Immediately after the Rosenthal report, um, Jeff Passan reported that like the punishments for the Astros are expected to be coming out shortly, and that they're probably going to be pretty severe and, and like possibly the biggest team fine ever. So we'll see if this kind of slows down this um, this rampant craze in, in baseball. But again, with all the cameras around the field and and with what players have video access to, it's it's, I'm sure it's tough not to look at, at those things, you know, especially if you can see it right there, so um, yeah, I don't know what baseball is going to do to kind of stop this, but it's definitely going to be a challenge.
1: For sure, and it's like um, I think Mark said when we went to the Effectively Wild thing, that the, the fine has to go to the team owner, and then the owners will go downstairs and say, you know, stop this, I'm losing money, and as we know, the owners like money. Just look at the Cubs trying to get rid of Chris Bryan, and all the other nonsense with the Red Sox and bets, as we just brought up. So, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I I mean, I think that's pretty much all you can say about it. And, you know, I'm I'm really interested to see what the punishment will be and sort of the new procedures teams have to follow. and, And if we see anything happen next year, that kind of, maybe makes you think, okay, this team was getting an advantage or not. But there's so much variability in baseball right now with the actual ball and and sign stealing and everything like that, that it's hard to know what kind of game we're watching. And you know, the last thing I was thinking about when you were talking about how the Red Sox said they didn't use it in the playoffs and blah, 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 I kind of think that's probably true. But doesn't it remind you a little bit of the whole steroid thing when every guy that was popped for steroids was like, yeah, I did steroids, but I only took it once or twice. And I don't really think it helped. Like Mark McGuire said it didn't help him.
2: Yeah. Like,
1: dude, you're Big Mac, and you were hitting like 530 foot
2: home runs. Yeah, your Popeye forearm suggests that it probably did help you a pretty lot when you were hitting 70 home runs. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure people still tried to get around that stuff in the playoffs. Like, like the report said, if they had a lax guy in the replay room, um, I'm, I'm sure, or, or one that just left for a minute to go to the bathroom or something, I'm sure there were there were means taken to. Uh, to address that and then with the Astros you know maybe it was the the whistling or, or uh something something like that I'm, I'm sure teams tried if you do it during the entire regular season I'm sure it's a tough habit to break once you get to the most meaningful games and feel like you still need that advantage because you had used it for the entirety of a regular season so yeah no I, I definitely I'm sure that there were at least attempts to do it in the, in the postseason um from what it sounds like they uh, Rosenthal and Andrellich didn't get any hard evidence in terms of what the, these anonymous members of the 2018 Red Sox um, disclosed to them, so that's not something that we can just assume. But it's something that I would say is probable. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Um. Well, we, before we uh before we get to the Buster thing, you brought it up. It, it kind of happened shortly after we recorded last week. But um, did you want to? You know, discuss the 81-game suspension for Herman because of the violation of the domestic violence policy. I mean, we made our thoughts on him pretty clear when uh, when this when this happened. Um, but yeah, it's 81-game suspension, so now he'll miss the first 63 games because of the time he served um, last season and missed all of the postseason. So not going to be seeing Domingo Herman for a while. I'm kind of grateful for that. But uh, but your thoughts on it? I mean, I, I think
1: it's obviously it's the longest suspension without a police report. So we have the least detail about this. And if anybody listening wants more detail, go read Lindsay Adler's report that she put out yesterday about why a lot of this is kept private. And it's, it's for the victim as much. Uh, and it's also for the, the accused, because things could leak out that wind up not being true. Uh, in this case, obviously, most of what has leaked out, which is very little, Probably is true, and it's probably much worse than what's leaked out. Um, so, so it's a private process, and you know, a, a, as it should be. Um, and you know, we don't need to know what happened, but we, especially, there's no appeal. So, I mean, I think we we pretty much know that Domingo Herman did something pretty vile, and um, you know, a man should never raise his hands to a woman. Period. Stop. So, I'm glad he won't be around for a little while, and um, I hope that. He gets some help in, in how to be a better man, and I hope that his, um, I think it was his girlfriend or his wife, that she has the resources she needs to, you know, to heal from this and and, and move on. And, I mean, that's really it, right? I mean, yeah. what you say? Like, I, I don't want to watch him pitch for the Yankees, but I know life doesn't work that way. Um, and that's it, but... I mean we're gonna have to watch and pitch and it's gonna be like the same fucking thing when you have Chapman come in when you're just like I hope the Yankees win but I'm not rooting for this guy I'm rooting for the team now and um if the Yankees are you know because the Yankees are gonna have to lose even if they win 102 games they're gonna have to lose 60 so I hope all 60 are Domingo Herman and or all this Chapman influence losses so we can just hate <laughs> on them some more
2: yeah yeah no that definitely causes a a moral dilemma when they're on the mound and like you said it's one that I I wish the Yankees would just avoid and I I particularly don't want to see her pitch anytime soon but like you said the most important thing is is the victim of of this um, you know getting the help she needs so she can move on it's going to be a lot tougher for her to move on from this than us like feeling like oh now we have to watch her pitch like obviously her getting that help is much more important that's why it kind of bugs me when something like this happens and the conversation is immediately like oh who's going to be the fifth starter now oh, like who's going to take those innings now it's like there's more important things to talk about
1: um well the yankees answered that by going out and getting that minor leaguer from the the angels <laughs> i forget the guy his whose name
2: i already forgot Tropiano. yeah, <laughs>
1: well, yeah when, when uh Heyman tweeted that last night i'm like who the hell is this guy <laughs> what, like what is Heyman just making up things this guy here is dead yeah so, um, yeah. Well,
2: uh, all right. Well, I, I Tropiano,
1: say- Tropiano, oh, Nick I Tropiano. Right. Nice. Sounds sounds like a yeah, like a local guy. Yeah, he's from West Islip <laughs> and Stony Brook. Oh, nice! Just like Steve Peichel, Yep, nailing it down at Rutgers, pounding nails.
2: <laughs> all right. Well, um, what do you say we talk to uh, to Buster only now?
3: All or,
2: right. Uh, Yep, talking to Buster only about his top ten positional rankings, and we will be back with Buster only after a quick break.
0: I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in
1: business. Sports is and not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together.
0: I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so
1: many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal.
0: Listen to The Deal.
1: Listen to The Deal on Spotify.
2: Okay, welcome back, everybody. We are joined now by Buster Olney a VSPN. cover the Yankees for a number of years, wrote last night of the Yankee dynasty, and now he is compiling his list of top 10 positional rankings across Major League Baseball, and the majority of them could be read right now on ESPN.com. And I believe left fielders come out later today as we record on a a Thursday with the rest of the outfield rankings coming through the rest of the weekend. Buster, thanks so much for coming on and talking with us about uh, your rankings heading into the 2020 season.
3: No, I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you.
2: So uh, we'll, start, we'll start at second base where we have a, a Yankee at the top and D.J. LeMahieu um, finishing. You had him first above Jose Altuve of the Astros. And just how tough was that decision? How much um, was last year's performance a factor in that? And do, are you expecting any kind of you know, drop-off or, or a return to the mean for D.J. LeMahieu next season? Or do you feel like what we saw in 2019 is the real D.J. LeMahieu?
3: Yeah, I think what we saw last year is the real D.J. LeMayu. And it's funny because just in talking with evaluators around baseball, it's almost like he had to get out of Colorado for them to completely buy into how good of a player he he is. Um, And where, you know, I mean, let's face it, any any guy who's on the Rockies who has great home road splits, um, people wonder, you know, is it the ballpark? Is it the dimensions? Well, I think what D.J. did last year – Just going to the Yankees and and thriving for them in the way that he did. But on top of that, just being so good at so many different positions. I remember talking to Brian Cashman uh, the day that they reached an agreement with him and asked him, hey, what are you going to do with him? And he said, we're going to move him all over the place. There were a lot of people around baseball who were skeptical that that was going to be the case because it's not often you see second baseman, you know, move to third, move to first. Uh, it's usually former shortstops or players who've been on the left side of the infield. But DJ was just fantastic. Whatever they asked him to do.
2: Yeah, and it's it's funny you never hear someone having to leave Colorado to become a better hitter, but that's exactly what happened with um, with DJ Lemayhu and. You know, just keeping things on, on LeMahieu again for a second. If, in, in your eyes, if, if LeMahieu comes out and, and has a monster April and May and, and is performing like he did in 20, 2019, do you, do you sense that the Yankees would maybe try to move quickly to extend him as he's uh, coming towards the end of his two year deal?
3: Yeah, I kind of wonder about that time period after uh, the arbitration process, if there's going to be a conversation between DJ's reps and the Yankees, Uh, because we know this. I mean, he really was the one who pushed his way to New York, uh, where he made it very clear, I guess, during his negotiations that that's what he wanted to do considering how well it went last year and how much he wants to win and now he's got Garrett Cole on the on the staff and you know I I I don't know how you guys feel but I really feel like that on paper the Yankees are as perfect a team well-rounded a team on paper uh, as those late 90s Yankees teams I gotta believe DJ's gonna want to stick around and after you know being around him you know all through 2019 and getting a firsthand look at what a, a great baseball dirt ball he is, um, that they're going to want to be able to work something out with him. So I, I am curious about, uh, you know, when those conversations will kick off.
0: Uh, Buster, you just mentioned Garrett Cole, and uh, as a Yankee fan, was happy to see him atop your starting pitching rankings. But, I mean, around here in the New York area, the Cole Gram debate has already started pretty much since the ink was dry on the contract. When you When you put out a ranking like that, do you know that you're going to get a huge blowback from basically half of a half of a city, even though the, the margin for error is so razor thin and you still have to pick just one to, to be on the top?
3: It absolutely is razor thin. And if, uh, you know, anyone were to say, look, I think DeGrom is number one. I'd be like, okay, I get it. Like he's, he, he's uh, been so phenomenal and, and you know, all through 2018 and he just seemed to get better and better and better as last year was going along. And yeah, you absolutely anticipated. In fact, I kind of, you know, going uh, into the process of writing the the top 10 uh, rankings, you sort of steal yourself for the reaction. And I think that probably the greatest reaction is going to be when the right fielders come out, because, guys, think about this. Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger, (laughs) Christian Yelich, Aaron Judge, Ronald Acuna Jr., it's impossible. Like, you know, picking between DeGrom and Garrett Cole is impossible because you can make a strong case for either guy and half the, you know, half the fans in New York, as you say, are going to be upset with you no matter which way you go. One of, the, one of the Yankees that was pretty far down the list,
0: I think he was last and the best of the rest, was uh, Luke Voigt over there at first base. Now, obviously, in the second half of the season, Voigt was battling some injuries um, and never really could regain um, regain his form from the first half and, and the end of 2018. How much would you say his injury affected your rankings and his performance thereafter um, to put him kind of lower down on the list?
3: Huge. Uh, I think it made a big uh, a big impact because let's face it. I mean, the first half of the season he was one of the most important players on the team. Uh, but I do think, and, and I, I dealt with this when I was putting Fernando Tatis Jr. You know, dealing with where to put him on the rankings at shortstop and where do you put. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. among the rankings uh, players at third base, I still think that in the end you have to do it uh, for an extended period of time uh, in order to be you know near the top of the list. And, and so I think that if Luke Voit had gotten a full season in, I think he would have been the top ten. I think if uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. had gotten a full, complete season, then he would have been higher up than the best of the rest among the shortstops. Um, you know, once once you get some time in, I think you get the benefit of the doubt. But uh, just in talking with evaluators, I think as much as we talk about you know potential or high impact in a short period of time, they do want to see an extended period.
2: You mentioned Tatis over at over at shortstop, and uh, Glaber Torres was was included in your in your best of the rest over at that position. He oh my. Uh, Again, another, um, another young, young guy who's only been in the league a couple of years. But, I mean, you know, we've, seen the, we've seen the projections for him over the next couple of years, 40 home runs. We saw what he can do last year. How quick do you think Torres is going to rise up these rankings as you keep doing them in the future? And, and how tough was it to, uh, to make that list? Like, like you said, in right field, it's almost just as stacked over at shortstop.
3: Yeah, and I, I really feel like that shortstop and, and uh, right field are the two dip, most difficult positions to, to go through because they're so stacked. Uh, you know, to have uh, Francisco Lindor and uh, Marcus Semien of the Oakland Athletics and on and on and on. I mean, when I, uh, when those rankings came out and Tatis Jr. was in the best arrest, I had Padre fans just coming at me going, wow, you know, what are you talking about? How could you not have him in the top ten? Well, look at the list. Like, look how many great players are at the list. I can tell you this, that when I started the process, I thought for sure that, you know, I'd have Glaber Torres higher. But then you're going through it, and you're like, oh, yeah, then there's that guy. And then there's that guy. And Tim Anderson, you know, a batting title winner, he's near the you know the bottom ten, bottom half of the top ten, um, you know, which just reflects the, the, the excellence overall in the position. I do think that Glaber could climb – the one X factor, the thing I wonder about is that when Francisco Lindor winds up settling someplace, because eventually he's going to move on from the Indians, whether he's traded or whether he becomes a free agent or walks away, um, I, I, I really feel like that he's such a perfect fit for the Yankees in free agency. Gleyber Torres might wind up being at the top of the rankings but at second base after the if, in fact, the Yankees at some point wind up landing him
2: that would obviously be a a stacked infield moving moving now behind the plate gary sanchez number five on your top 10 catchers obviously a, a prolific bat we saw what he can do especially in the early months of the season there are concerns about his defense he greatly improved his blocking last year his framing numbers seem to suffer as as a result but you know how much of a concern is it for you is the consistency behind the plate and some of these prolonged slumps he goes into at the plate, and, and what do you think it's going to take for him, in your eyes, to become a top two or three catcher in the league?
3: Yeah, one of the things that I've always heard from catchers through the years is you can't let your offensive struggles affect your defense, and just in watching Gary play at the you know the beginning of his career, it seems like that, that at times is an issue, where... You know, when and uh, we saw this in the postseason when he was really struggling, you can see the frustration on his face. That seemed to be when his defense suffered. Um, and I do think that, you know, when I did the rankings and I got feedback from uh, evaluators around baseball, that, uh, you know, that that definitely affected his ranking. But I would say, and I wrote an essay about this at the top. Um, that with the electronic strike zone uh, imminent at some point, and my guess is the 2022 or 2023 season, in some respects, once we get past uh, where, where you see the electronic strike zone being used, all those subtle parts of the position that Gary probably is not as good at as other people are, those have become obsolete like Gary Sanchez of 2019 is almost like the perfect catcher for baseball in 2023-2024 when it really is going to become uh, more of an offensive position and there's not going to be as much, uh, there doesn't have to be any concern about framing because uh, you know, you're not going to be able to try to, uh, not going to be in a position where you're going to have to try to convince an umpire that a ball on the edge is a, a strike.
2: And moving over to the bullpen, where the Yankees, not surprisingly, had a couple entries on your list. We had Chapman at three, Britain at eight, Canley among among the best of the rest. Who, like you mentioned, probably won't suffer from the three batter minimum because he's so effective against both lefties and righties. But just just focusing on Britain at, at number eight, we saw him kind of return to that elite level that he or at least near that elite level he was at in 2016 as he continues to move further and further away from his Achilles injury do you feel like another full season of Britain pitching to the way he did last season could wind you know push him into maybe the top five come next season
3: It's possible, for sure. You know, I had a great conversation with him last spring about uh, what you referenced, how, you know, getting further away from the Achilles surgery, uh, he was getting more comfortable. He told me that his surgeon said to him, look, you're not going to be right uh, immediately. You're not going to be all the way back. It's going to take you some time. And he at first, you know, had that competitive nature in an athlete to say, oh, yeah, well, I'll show you. And then, you know, as uh, 2018 was playing out and he was pitching, he could feel that, you know, not only was he not completely comfortable, but as this, the outings were going along, that he was feeling more and more at ease. And he mentioned to me that when he was negotiating with the Yankees, they told him that as well, that that was their information. Um, so I do think that Zach probably has some some progress that he can make. Let's face it, that sinker is... Uh, Turbo Sinker is a ridiculous pitch. And it makes me wonder about Della Batantis, you know, the ex-Yankee now, and whether or not he's going to return to that list as he comes back from the, you know, the problems that he had last year with his Achilles.
0: We're chatting with Buster only of ESPN, and, and Buster. In addition to your rankings, which I'm sure people are going to be reading and, and reacting to, I really encourage everybody out there to to pick a, a copy of your book. I know we, we mentioned it before we started recording, "The Last Night of the Yankees Dynasty," which is my favorite Yankee book of all time. And uh, you know, Ryan and I are of the age where that's that's the era we grew up in. And as young fans, I don't think we really appreciated that team. But do you think all of baseball underappreciated that that '98 to two? thousand back-to-back-to-back to back run, because since then, only one team to win the World Series has even made it back to the World Series since they went to the, that division format, and that would be the Phillies of 08 and 09.
3: It's interesting that you ask it that way, um, and thank you for the, the kind words. I loved working on that book, and I love covering that group of players. I mean, they were so invested, um, but the, I, I think the, the best example I can remember, and I wrote about it in the book, Tony Muser was the manager of the Royals and at that time the Royals were terrible and I think that the Yankees you know, beat them 10 out of 11 games and outscored them by an average of like 5 runs a game it was like the Orioles and the Yankees of 2019, that's how one-sided it felt, and Tony told me that he felt like that At times when he would go do events where Royals fans would complain about, you know, big market, small market disparity, and it's not fair that the Yankees are that good. And Tony told me he would find himself defending that team and saying, look, it's not about the money with that group of players. You guys don't get it. It's about the relentlessness and how hard that team plays. And that's what jumped out at me, because I covered the Orioles in, in 95 and 96, and, you know, that team had a lot of stars. And then I jumped to you know cover the Yankees in 1998, and to see how hard that team played, um, it just absolutely came off the... You know, just jumped off the field at you to see Joe Girardi running up behind the base runner, going to first base every time to back up a potential throw, uh, to see how this was a team that didn't give up the bats, especially that 98 team that went into that year in such a mission. I do think that, you know, over time... That, uh, you know, that they they may never be surpassed the greatest team of all time. Um, That 98 team was unbelievable. And for them to, you know, every year push the rock back up the hill and to go for another championship, we've seen how difficult that is over the last 20 years because no one's repeated it, as you mentioned.
0: And one thing that I feel gets talked about, sort of revisionist histories is a lot of yankee fans say that those teams didn't have as much personality as the sort of 2017 through through the current era with a lot of the young players but as a young fan i don't really remember it that way i thought they were a rather fun team um what what was your impression like from covering them of their day-to-day did they have a, a good team personality as a team were they a fun group
3: Oh my god! I loved it, and I loved, um, the, I loved the fact that they love baseball so much. You know, that's a young Derek Jeter before, um, you know. I, I think he's was bent like we all would be through his celebrity. You know, to see, you know, the confidence level that he played at that young in his career was really cool. Mariano Rivera to me is maybe one of the most misunderstood people in baseball uh, because everyone sort of knows him from what he was out on the mound. He was always uh, so dignified and so stately and then when you talk to him directly he had good, strong opinions. He still does. Uh, you know, David Wells constantly battling with Joe Torrey, Paul O'Neill taking on water coolers, Tim Raines with such a great sense of humor, Uh, you know, being a glue guy, Luis Soho the same way, Uh, David Cohn with the the leadership that he brought to that team. I thought that team had tremendous personality, but what they all had in common was they just loved baseball. You know, they loved to play uh, and they loved to win, and, man, they were tough. You know, when, uh, when the chips were down and, and situations, uh, and I thought the 2000 World Series and some of the at bats that they had, uh, you know, to come back in key spots in that game, uh, in that World Series, I think just told you so much about that team. It's
2: certainly a golden era of, of Yankees baseball, and anyone who wants a, a closer look inside that, that era and, and how it came to an eventual end, highly recommend Buster's Last Night of the Yankee Dynasty. And again, if you want to check out the rest of his rankings, go to ESPN+. Plus. Left fielders coming out later today as, as we record on Thursday. Center fielders on Friday. Saturday is right fielders. Hopefully we'll see Aaron Judge somewhere close to the top. But, again, a, sta- a stacked position. And then Monday, the top ten teams. We'll see where the, where the Yankees end up. But, um, Buster, thanks so much for joining us. And if anyone wants to hear more of, of Buster, check out Buster's Baseball Tonight podcast. Buster, thanks so much.
3: I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me.
2: All right. A huge thanks again to Buster Olney. Everyone can check out his top ten list at at ESPN and um, subscribe to be an ESPN Insider to get more um, cool content like these like these lists that are always make for fun debates. And and Sean, I found myself on on both sides of the fence on this one. With second base, I kind of thought Altuve would be number one. I mean, obviously, the Mayhew had an MVP caliber season, and, and Altuve's defense. Which is kind of highlighted by the new outs above average metric for infielders is um, definitely an inferior defender than LeMayhew, but I guess it was just tough for me to put LeMayhew at one after one season, even though it was a fa- absolutely fantastic one. And then you had the list um, like Sanchez at five. I certainly would have had him higher. I know he mm-hmm. goes, I, um, and I know he goes into some prolonged slumps, and there are. Um, concerns about his defense even though he greatly improved his blocking last year his framing seemed to go down as a result which actually made him less valuable a, a defender but um yeah what what were your uh, your main takeaways
1: It was weird the two the Yan- that he had as number one for the Yankees were oh yeah I um, didn't even
2: mention Cole that was cert- that's certainly up for debate too the
1: Cole group. yeah Cole and LeMahieu and those two I disagree with almost as much as I disagree with the guys that were underrepresented. I mean, if you look at the steamer project projections, it's pretty close between Lemayhu and Altuve, but not quite that close. And just judging off Altuve's track record and what he's done after getting that knee healthier, um, it's interesting to me that Lemayhu would be number one. Um, as much as you know, it's, it's just a silly list. But um, you know, Lemayhu had one breakout year with the Yankees, and obviously, we hope he continues that but I was surprised that LeMay, he was number one. And I was, I was more surprised that Cole was ahead of DeGrom. I mean, maybe in fantasy stats because the Yankees are going to put up more runs than the Mets most likely and have a better bullpen that he'll get more wins than DeGrom. But DeGrom is pretty superior and has been on like a steady rise where Cole has jumped up the last two years. And I think Cole is probably the second or third best pitcher in baseball, probably second. Um, But I think DeGrom is number one and, uh, um, I mean, it's interesting to me, and it, you know, obviously, everybody's going to flip over the um, flip over that. That's going to be the hot button thing, right? It's like Degrom versus Cole, and I mean, if they ever match up in the regular season, I'll, I'll be there. That'll be awesome. Oh, but yeah. um, but it, it's it's interesting to me how you make that call, and um, you know, we'll see. I'm I'm glad the Yankees are there, but um, yeah, I mean, Gary Sanchez to me is. is needs to be higher even if he has a year like he had last year that's that's good enough i mean he's hitting bombs steamer has him this year hitting 31 homers with an 839 ops out of a catcher let's go i mean pretty, that, pretty that's damn
2: good with with that, the arm he has as well
1: yeah that's pretty awesome and i mean how i was mean, a buster realize that glaber torres is going to still play the orioles 19 times next year right <laughs> that, that doesn't change
2: yeah yeah um I'd say I'd say that one and Voit, the ones that were included in his best of, of the rest, I thought could have I thought could have been higher. Um, again, it's it's easy to it's easy to forget how Voit produced before his injury because he did miss a lot of time and and because he certainly wasn't the same player after that. So maybe that's taken into account. But I think he kind of silenced a lot of the regression concerns last year when he came out. Um, well,
1: I, I mean Steamer has Voit as like 0.8 war next year with only 92 games played and a 787 OPS, which would be lower than his OPS from this year when he, you know, when he played the second half of the season hurt only he's hitting 17 home runs, which is shocking to me. And that's, I, I reached out to the guy that, that does steamer to see if he'd come on the podcast, not to attack him, but I'm just curious as to how like a recent injury factors into that because steamer also has John Carlos Stanton who missed almost the entire year hitting four 49 bombs with the nine forty four OPS, <laughs> Yes. Which I'll sign up for right now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Do, um,
1: of course. They also have him at negative 11.3 defensive war <laughs> <laughs> or defensive rating, whatever this is here. You
2: hit 49 home runs, John Carlo, you can be Clint Frazier in the outfield. We don't care.
1: Cliff French will be gone, I hope. Um, Move move him. Um, So yeah, um, I I don't know, but everybody seems to be down on Voight except for us and a couple other people at Pinstripe Alley.
2: So listen to us.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in Voight. Keep eating that asparagus, young man. (laughs) <laughs> so it says, builds muscle. So every, every week when my wife's like, what vegetables do you want to get for dinner next week? I'm always like, let's get some asparagus in here.
2: Yeah. Trying to hit
1: some dingers.
2: Helps that it tastes good too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, I, again, I, I don't think anything was, I don't think anything really jumped out at me in in terms of, uh, in terms of the list. And again, like you said, like, um, it's, it's a list made by one person. Like he, probably watches more baseball games than us and that's just um what he sees going in the next year maybe there's some recency bias with with LeMahieu but um I know I enjoy reading lists like that makes uh makes for fun debates
1: well yeah I mean Buster's so respected he's been around in the game so long that it's interesting and it's not you know he's entitled to make his list I'm sure our lists would cause problems with a ton of people too oh yeah um Everybody's like, oh, you have Carlos Stan too high. You have, you know, Gio Urshela too high. Interesting. But anyway. Yeah, Steamer thinks Gio's going to hit 18 dingers and a 741 OPS. So, you know, live with that at the hot corner.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. So uh, they have
1: they have Anduhar playing 128 games and Urshela 134. So I guess they think Anduhar is going to play some DH in first base, especially if Void is only at 92 games.
2: Yeah, Steamer must be very confident in, in not only Stanton's health, but his ability to play the outfield every day.
1: Um, or or they're going to
2: play Andujar at first or third, and we'll, and we'll see. Uh, well, Have well, you seen the
1: Yankees' Steamer projections, by the way?
2: No, I haven't. I was about to ask, uh, what are Mike Fords? Because that might tell you how much they think Andujar is going to be at first base.
1: Uh, Only 26 games. Okay, yeah, so then. Five homers. Um, 825 OPS. Interesting. Yep. Um, you want to guess the top five Yankees in war?
2: Sure. Um, I'm, it's gonna be um, I'm probably... <laughs> uh, well, Judge, I kind of get
1: a big hint on one.
2: Yeah. yeah, I know. Stanton's hitting 49 home runs. I'm guessing Judge and Stanton are going to be on there. Two for two. Uh, Glaber, three for three. Um,
1: this takes defense into account.
2: Yeah. LeMayhew? Four
1: for four. <laughs> You actually yeah. named them in order. Wow. So i cheating.
2: No, I... <laughs> I, have I, don't, I hear them. some trash cans in the background. <laughs> um, yeah, bang twice if, if the fifth one is... Uh, if it's Sanchez. God damn it. How'd you get that? <laughs> All right. All right.
1: I'll tell you, Urshela is next. If you get seven, I know you're cheating. So I think you'll probably get it wrong on purpose. But who do you <laughs> think is seven? Uh I'll give you a hint.
2: This is why you can't just go by war. This is why you can't just go by war. Andahar?
1: No, Higgy. Oh wow. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're giving him the they're giving him the catcher positional adjustment, yeah. even though they have him with a six ninety five OPS and eight home runs because he's a catcher, it bumps up his war. Right.
2: All right. Well, all right. I got five for five. I'm going to put that on my, on my tombstone five for fighting. All right. Well, uh, we got anything else other than what we're looking forward to this week?
1: I don't think so. I, uh, I think that's all that's going on in Yankee land. I mean, it seems like the trade market's picking up a little bit. And so I think the market will probably start to get a little bit more active and, um, I mean, I know we, we I didn't we didn't record together on New Year's. We just played the hits, and uh, I think my favorite thing was at twelve oh three. I saw a tweet twelve oh three a.m. New Year's Day. I saw a tweet next month. Pitchers and catchers report, which is true. We're only a month yes. and I think they were the Yankees pitchers and catchers report on the twelfth this year.
2: I believe so, that's correct.
1: We're a month and three days from pitchers and catchers as we record here on the morning of the ninth. So,
2: yeah.
1: I'm, I'm pretty excited for that. And
2: yeah, that's about it. All right, cool. Um, what are you looking forward to this week, not next month? Um,
1: for next month, pitchers and catchers, and I'm going to Star Wars Land. So
2: that's a pretty stacked month for a short yeah. month of February.
1: Yeah, well, February is my least favorite month of the year. So, but anyway, um, this weekend I'm having my friends over from. I would say high school but I met most of them in elementary school so like you know table 7 from my weddings all coming over Nice so it'll be it'll we're going to play some cards and watch the division round of the playoffs so I'm looking forward to that hanging out with my friends and I've also been playing a lot of NHL uh, so I'm looking forward to playing some more of that made some big trades with the Rangers we're <laughs> on a little bit of a winning streak now I got Alec Martinez which hurts because of the 2014 cup but yeah The easy deal for one you know so I had had to go get him what about you what are you looking forward to
2: you know I have I never thought I would say this because I haven't really been too big on the NFL for for years now but I'm really looking forward to watching it this weekend I mean the wild card round was very exciting
1: yeah this past weekend was amazing every game was a one score game and pretty much came down to the last possession so Awesome.
2: Yes, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Real quick before we go, you, you brought up the Stanley Cup. The New York Post ha- did their all-decade thing right, right before New Year's, which mm-hmm. I haven't even talked to you about. But did you see that they put the 2012 Rangers as the final entry on the list and didn't include the 2012 Devils? I, I don't know about you. That's kind of bizarre to me. What Maybe, was – What? Walk,
1: I, well, remember, that team came – within one or two points of winning the president's cup
2: or the president's trophy. The Devils went to the Stanley Cup. Yeah, but that was a nice run, but what are they are they going
1: by the whole regular season or the playoffs included?
2: I mean, there wasn't really a formula. It was just the most it was just the most memorable teams, New York area teams of the decade. And even in the right. explanation, even in the explanation, the writer said, "Don't shoot the messenger." but um but the staff picked the rangers over the devils who knocked them out in the playoffs blah blah blah
1: all right well here like for me if we're talking about the whole team That year was actually more memorable than 2014 when the Rangers go to the cup, because in 2014, the Rangers took a little while to get going. And then when they got St. Louis, they kind of stumbled again as they got used to it. So that was kind of an up and down year. In 2012, I mean, they were pretty much on top of the conference beginning to end. They had the Winter Classic involved, which was one of the greatest Winter Classics ever with the the penalty shot uh, with with Lundqvist making the save. They had two Game 7 wins. In the playoffs, the triple overtime game, like for me, that was a more memorable year than 2014, even though the the playoffs in 2014 are more memorable than 2012, if that makes sense. So if they're saying it because the Devils kind of had a year like the Rangers had in 2014, where they're up and down, up and down, and then they have this crazy run throughout the postseason, I get it. Obviously, the Devils had a more successful year that year.
2: Yeah, also had a very exciting Game 7 win in the first round, too. They were down three games to two and, and won one yeah, two yeah. games in a row in overtime. I don't know. I thought it was pretty uh, pretty crazy. But, well, I mean, the, the Rangers were down
1: 3-2, and, and they won two one-goal games. And, you know, against the Capitals, they're tied at two games apiece. And then they go – and, you know, Richard scores with 6.6 left. They win in overtime. They had a game, triple overtime game in game three. And then they win another one-goal game in game seven. But um did they have the 2014 Rangers in that
2: Yeah, yeah, they were they were up at like seven, 6 or 7 or something like that.
1: Y- yeah, I mean if okay, so then if they're going by that criteria where they count that as 6 or 7 then yeah, you probably want to count the Devils in that list because then it seems like they're not taking the whole regular season into account.
2: Yes, agreed.
1: If they are though, then I understand, but then you can't have 2014 up that high. That's yeah. That's just right.
2: Well, I just wanted to get your thoughts. I was very uh, puzzled when I read that, but um,
1: also, you know, I mean, if you're ta- ta- talking memorable and you're counting the number of people that remember it, people probably remember the Rangers <laughs> more. You know, there's more than seven fans, right?
2: Actually, I'm going to the Rangers Devils game tonight. Oh, really? Yeah. I hope it's uh, more enjoyable than the Rangers Devils game I went to. I don't know if you've been paying
1: attention, but the Rangers have called up Prince Igor. I did uh, see. that, So now yeah. they have the King and the Prince and. I, I wonder if that's why Megan and Harry have uh, left the royal family. Because there's just, you know, there's too much pressure from, from over at the garden with all the royalty right. we have over there. So we'll see. But I saw a good comparison that Henrik Lundqvist is is the Dan Marino of the NHL, which
2: that's, is that's sad, fair,
1: but but true. I mean, I don't know.
2: All right. Well, uh, thank you to everyone for listening and putting up with our. Hockey talk to close things out here, and of course, thank you to uh, to Buster. Only, hopefully, like Sean said, the trade market's heating up. Maybe we'll have some trades to talk about. Looking at J hap, and um, and we'll uh, we'll talk to everybody next week. See you later, everybody.